Um, my name is Hannah Hornback. I am on staff here at Restoration. I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I have a few very random facts about the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which there's a picture that should pop up behind me. Okay, yeah, here it is. It'll make sense in a second, I promise. Um, so this bad boy was the, it started, the people started building it in 1173. Interesting fun fact. Um, and it actually originally didn't start out leaning. Like the first few floors of it stood straight for like the first five years it was built. But when the third floor uh, was added to it, it started to lean. And that's because of the ground that it was built on. So the word Pisa actually means marshy land, uh, which is an indication as to why this thing leans. It's because the ground that it was built on, it's, it's made out of like clay and muddy water and sand. And just, it, it's not a very good foundation. So over the years, they tried so many different things to straighten this thing out. They tried um, making one side of it heavier as they built it up. They tried digging up the ground around it to see, you know, what they could do to the, the soil and the ground underneath it to make it better. They tried injecting different things underneath it. Everything they did just made it worse over the years. It just kept leaning. And then finally, in 1992, they like pumped out a bunch of the ground underneath it and they weighed the thing down. They like counterbalanced it with weight and they anchored the whole thing with steel cables. And now they think that it should stay standing for the next like 300 years um, at its four degree angle. And uh, I think they actually kept the angle in it on purpose because over the years it kind of became the fascinating thing about it. But the thing is about the Leaning Tower of Pisa is that the original people who thought it up, that, that drew out this plan that broke ground and started it, they missed something. They, they, they put it in the wrong spot. Like, the foundation wasn't right. If they would have put it somewhere else, they would have saved themselves a lot of, I'm sure, money and labor. They had to try all these things over the years. Engineers worked so hard just to make sure this building wouldn't fall over. And I think it's because they picked the wrong spot. The foundation, it wasn't secure. It wasn't strong. Um, it, it just, yeah, made it lean. So why would I start off by sharing some weird facts about the Leaning Tower of Pisa and its poor foundation? It's because foundations are really important. Um, okay, so this morning we are continuing on in our sermon series called Let Us, where we have been walking through the book of Hebrews this summer, and we've been looking at the different Let Us statements that are found throughout the book of Hebrews. And just as a reminder as we dive in today, um, the book of Hebrews was written mainly to Jewish believers in the early church who, honestly, they found it pretty difficult to kind of let go of some of their Jewish traditions and rituals. And the writer of Hebrews is really helping them come to terms with the new covenant and to wrap their minds around all of the implications of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection and to really step into the freedom and the hope that a, that a relationship with him brings, that a life with him brings. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the let us statement that's found in Hebrews 12, verse 28. If you have your Bibles and want to follow along, you're welcome to. It's also going to be up on the screen. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So this verse, it kind of has a cause and effect movement to it. The cause being, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and then the effect, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. And first we're going to dive into kind of the, the cause portion of this verse because we all know that intuitively you can't have an effect without the, a cause, right? That something has to produce the effect. So in just the few verses before this um, passage, the author is speaking 
in Hebrews about how all created things will not last. And he talks about how, in essence, different things around us, they are shakable. And right, I think we know that a lot of things are shakable things, right? Like jobs, um, relationships, status, maybe material possessions, health, um, homes. I mean, this past year and a half taught us that things can change in the blink of an eye for, for one way or another. Things are shakable. Um, but, but scripture says that, that created things will be taken away so that what cannot be shaken may remain. And it's speaking to this future hope of Jesus's ongoing redemptive and restorative work in the earth that someday there will be no more tears or pain or suffering or sickness, that, um, It'll just be his kingdom, and it'll just be us in a perfect relationship with our loving Father and in perfect relationship with each other. That even though created things will fade away, that this unshakable thing will not. Um, No one expected this past year and a half to be what it was, right? Plans are shakable. We know that. But hope in God is not because he is not. He is unshakable. See, this idea of the importance of putting our faith in something that is sturdy and secure and firm, it's not necessarily unique to just this passage of Scripture. And this actually reminded me a lot of something that Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. So we're going to read that together. And this is Jesus teaching. And he says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You see, Jesus is like, guys, it's me. It's a relationship with me. It's following me. That's the only thing that's unshakable. It's the only thing that is worthy of building your life on. It's the only thing that's going to last and stand the test of of circumstances. It's going to stand the test of time. Actually, it's going to last eternity. But Jesus is kind of warning us here, like, hey, you have other options. You can build your life on the sand. You can choose to build your life on shakable things, right? We can choose to build our life on things like money or success or hope in, in human relationships or our careers or status, things like that. But I think Jesus is saying like, hey, it's, it's really worth it to ask this question, what is your life built on? Because the implications of what you choose are really big. I think he's saying here like, hey, following me, building your life on me, it's the only thing that promises to stand firm and to stand strong no matter what comes against it. You see, the, building, uh, the builders of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, they chose the wrong spot to build the tower, and they paid for it. Years and years of a lot of money and effort and labor just to make sure that thing didn't fall. Foundation is really important. And for those of us who have chosen already to build our life on the foundation of a relationship with Jesus, I just want to remind you this morning, and I hope that you are encouraged, that that foundation is really strong. It is trustworthy, and it is secure, And we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And for those of you who are sitting here thinking like, yeah, I I have, I've built my life on that foundation, but right now things are hard or trying or I'm in the middle of a difficult season or circumstances around me seem hard. 
Can I just remind you that there is a future hope that rests in building your life on the foundation of a relationship with Jesus. I love in uh, Romans 8, verse 18, it's up on the screen. It says, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later. Or in another translation of the same verse, it says, I am sure that our suffering now cannot be compared to the shining greatness that he is going to give us. You see, there's a future hope in building your life on the foundation of Jesus, that he will restore all things, that he will heal all things. Following Jesus doesn't promise us that life is going to be rainbows and butterflies or that nothing's going to be hard, right? I think we all intuitively know that. But it does promise us that when the waves of life crash up against us, that 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 foundation, it will not break. It's strong. It's secure. That house will not crash because what we've built it on is strong. It is trustworthy. It is faithful. I just want to encourage you, maybe if you're in the middle of a season that feels hard or difficult, man, cling to the hope that he who began a good work in you is faithful to bring it to completion. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And if something stirs kind of deep in you and when you hear those words, I just want to encourage you to lean into maybe that question, what is your life built on? I think it's really worth it to consider the answer to that because like I said, the the implications of what you choose are really big. So maybe that's something to to think on, to meditate on. What is your life built on? Is it something shakable or is it unshakable? Now, like I said earlier, foundations are really important and this thought, the first part of that um, verse in Hebrews 12, 28, it is actually the foundational point that kind of, you know, the rest of it comes out of it. We talked about how you can't really have an effect without the cause, right? So in this instance, you can't really get into talking about the thankfulness and, and living a life of worship towards God before we talk about having a foundation on a relationship with him. And the rest, it comes out of that. It, it comes out of having a relationship with him. So again, let me encourage you. First thing is first, wrestle with that question. What is your life built on? Now this moves kind of into the effect. What is our response to living a life built on the foundation of having a relationship with Jesus and the knowledge that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken? So the next little chunk of this verse, it says, let us be thankful. And I think that this phrase um, must have been really difficult to translate into English from the original Greek that that it was written in because in different translations of the Bible, um, it might say something different. In this uh, translation, it says, let us be thankful. Others say, let us be grateful or let us have hope or sorry, let us have grace or let us cling to grace. But really it's getting at kind of this posture of an all-encompassing like kindness and grace and and thankfulness towards God that's coming out of us receiving the free grace that he's given to us. And to me, it makes sense that that grace and thankfulness are really intertwined here because, man, the grace that he offers us, it's so radical, it's so great that thankfulness is just our natural response. It's just what makes sense to come out of that. But I think it's really important and, and worth it for us to talk about for a second what it looks like to practically practice thankfulness in our relationship to God. Because I think thankfulness is a choice, right? Practicing gratitude towards God, it requires us to reflect on what he has done in the past and his character. It requires us to notice, to take a look around and to see what he's doing right now, the ways he's provided for us. And, and it requires us to then even step into the future, trusting that his character is not going to change, that he's going to continue to be faithful just as he was in the past. 
it's not only an attitude or like a posture of thankfulness, but I think it's a, a call to action, to, to notice and to actually say thank you. Now, I want you to consider these two different scenarios. So picture this. It's Father's Day. And scenario number one, I call my dad, and I'm like, hey, dad, happy Father's Day. I love you. Okay, talk to you later. Bye. And then scenario number two, it's still Father's Day. And I sit down, and I make a list, and I, I think through, and I write down all the reasons I'm, I'm so thankful, that, that, and all the reasons I think my dad's a really good dad. Like, I'm like, man, dad, the way that you carved out time to always spend with me growing up and all those daddy-daughter dates and conversations over hot tea before school, that just meant the world to me. Like, I always felt so pursued and chosen by you. And, and dad, the way you always showed up to my games or whatever I was interested in, even though I wasn't like the best athlete ever, you were just my biggest cheerleader and that was awesome. And, and dad, like, you were so wise and you're such a good listener and I just, man, you're the first person I want to call when I have a big question about life. And then, Dad, even the way that, even though I've, I've moved out and, I, and I'm married, like, you still, you call me all the time, you love me, you show up for me. Man, that just means the world. And the way you love Mom, like, you've painted a picture of a godly marriage and what it looks like to be a sacrificial husband. You raised the bar, and you made my standards really high. Thank you. Man, Dad, the way that you showed me what it looks like to, to have a relationship with Jesus and to walk faithfully with the Lord, man, you set such a good example. Thank you. You're a really good dad. Happy Father's Day. And all those things are true, by the way. Um, But think of the difference between those two. I said thank you in both of those, right? But only in one of those did I take the time to reflect and to actually, you know, kind of come to terms with over all the years, all the things that really make my dad a good dad. Guys, I think it's a game changer to approach thankfulness out of true reflection rather than just routine. And the same thing is true with our relationship with God. Man, it is so worth it to spend the time reflecting on how the Lord has loved you and pursued you and showed up for you and provided for you and proved his his trustworthiness and his faithfulness in your life. Reflecting on that, it changes the way we say thank you. And then it propels us to step into the future trusting that, man, he's going to do that again. I I trust him. I've seen it in my own life. So perhaps what kind of noticing or reflecting do you need to do to say thank you? You know, for me, one thing that I love to do is every once in a while I'll carve out time to pull out this bucket under my bed that has um, just my journals from all the years and and read through them. And most of them are prayer journals. And and it's just, you know, my own life story. I can tangibly see all the seasons of life that God has protected me from or where he's provided to me, prayers that he's answered, different things that he's brought me through or lessons that he's he's taught me. And it's just, it always brings me to a place of, of thankfulness and seeing how he has worked in my life. One thing that um, my in-laws do that I think is so cool is they have a glass jar in their dining room or in their, on their dining hall table, and um, they, whenever God has answered a prayer or provided for them or done something miraculous, they take a rock and they write it down and they date it and they put it in the jar. So they have this physical representation of, of just all the things that they have to say thank you, God, for. So it's, it's reflection and noticing that really lead us to a place of, of thankfulness. So now as we go on in our verse in Hebrews, if you want to throw that back up on the screen, we come to kind of the second point that's in this, in the effect, like that comes out of having a relationship with Jesus and what we do with that. And and it says, so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. 
Now, first off, I wanted us to take a quick look at kind of a a biblical definition of worship. Because often, I think even maybe if it's subconsciously, when we think of the word worship, we think of a Sunday morning where we sing songs, maybe we raise our hands or we listen to a sermon, and then that's kind of what we think of when we say the word worship. But um, Romans 12 verse 1 really gives us a good definition, I think, of what worship is. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice— holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, this makes it so clear that worship is so much bigger than just what we do here on a Sunday morning. Yes, this is a part of it, but this is a call to live our lives as a living sacrifice, to give our lives over to the Lord. Jesus is like, I want all of you. And actually, I think that is much more compelling than just a once a week type of thing, because man, everything we do has the, uh, the opportunity to be something that we offer to the Lord over in worship. We've, we like to separate things in our minds into sacred or secular, right? A worship song or doing the dishes. <laughs> but really, everything we do, every relationship we have, our jobs, um, the way we treat people, the way we serve others, the things that we fight for, the, everything that we do, it's an opportunity to worship the Lord, to glorify Him, to honor Him. This is a holistic kind of call that's, man, 24-7, we have the opportunity to live a life of worship, to be living sacrifices. Now, I want you to notice um, the second part in uh, the verse, or in this call to worship back in the Hebrews 12 passage. It doesn't just call us to worship God, it calls us to worship God acceptably with reverence and with awe. And honestly, that is kind of convicting to me uh, when I first read that because I think especially for, you know, maybe those of us in the room who have had a relationship with Jesus for a while, um, and maybe you don't fall into this category, so that's fine, that's okay. But maybe sometimes, like, we can get a little mundane in, in our worship or in just who we're talking to. Like, if someone overheard my my prayers or me talking to the Lord, it doesn't always sound like I'm talking to someone who I have reverence and awe for. So I think there's something to be said about maybe the importance of kind of reclaiming a posture of reverence and awe towards the Lord. And I want to offer up two encouragements of maybe things that we can actively participate in and kind of a, a reclaiming of that sort of posture of just like awestruck wonder of the Lord. And the first is this. It's to remember your first love and to come back to your first love. I want to ask you the question, maybe do you need to come back to a place of being in wonder and, and in awe of the love of your maker, of the love that he has for you? You know, recently I was um, driving to Ohio, my family lives there, and I was listening to this worship song, and it was one of the like spontaneous versions of a song where the, the singers like to go off of the traditional lyrics and sing whatever's on their heart. And I had never heard this specific song before. And I'm kind of known for like belting songs in the car at an unpleasant tone, but I was by myself, so it didn't matter. And I was trying to keep up with this song, even though I had never heard it before. I didn't know the lyrics. And so I'm singing, it's super loud, it's like volume 100. I'm sure I couldn't hear for a while after that. But anyway, I thought that the lyrics of the song were saying, I finally found what love is. It's better, it's better. So I'm singing that and it's like repeating it. And then it hit me that I was like, I actually have no idea if those are the right words. So I stopped singing for a second and listened to it and I was wrong. And the lyrics were actually saying, I thought I knew what love was. It's better, it's better. Turns out it's better, it's better. And I just was like driving and it like hit me like a brick of walls. I was like, oh my gosh, 
like over the years of a relationship with Jesus, it just keeps getting better. And instantly I had this like sweet time of reflection of how, man, like his love, it just keeps getting better. And I'm sure I could point to years in the past where I thought I knew what his love was like, but it it just keeps getting better. And I hope five years from now, 10 years from now, I, I can reflect back to this moment and say, oh my gosh, it just keeps getting better. Like, he just keeps proving his love for me. He just, as we grow in a relationship with him, as we draw nearer to his love, man, he loves to show us how much he loves us. And just like it's important to approach thankfulness out of a place of reflection, man, I think that we are going to worship God with reverence and awe when we come to a place out of reflection of just how much he loves us. You know, God loves to show you how much he loves you. He loves to woo you. Can I just encourage you? Man, maybe ask the question, hey God, show me how much you love me. Show me what you think of me. I'm sure he would love to answer that prayer. Do you need to come back to how great your first love is? Because man, that leads us to a place of worship out of just like reverence and awe when we get little glimpses of how much our father just loves us. The second encouragement I want to offer up to you is it's actually an observation from scripture that I see. Um, So many people in scripture, they witnessed God do like really incredible, amazing things. Like think of Moses and the Israelites like walking through the parted Red Sea. Or think of the woman who reached out and just touched Jesus' clothes and instantly like her bleeding stopped and her suffering ended. Think of Peter when he actually took that step on the water and he didn't sink right? Like there was people that witnessed God do incredible things. And I, I'm sure that just logically their only response out of what, after they witnessed what they witnessed was to worship out of reverence and awe because they witnessed God's like incredible power. And obviously we can't just snap our fingers and, you know, make God do something incredible right in front of ourselves. But what I noticed about each one of these people is that they had to do something risky, You see, they had to say yes to what the Lord was calling them to do before they knew what the outcome was going to be, right? Peter had to actually put his weight in that step before he knew if the water was going to hold him. Moses was leading the Israelites to what would have been a dead end where the Egyptians could have easily recaptured them before God split the Red Sea. Mary had to suffer, I'm sure, some premarital issues and a lot of people, you know, casting a lot of judgment and a lot of people not believing where this Uh, pregnancy came out of wedlock before she got to be the mother of Jesus. Abraham had to walk up a mountain thinking he was going to sacrifice his son before God provided a lamb. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to decide to stay faithful and not bow down to an idol before they knew that God was going to rescue them from the punishment, right? Like these people had to say yes to something before they knew what the outcome was going to be. They had to do something risky. They had to be bold and courageous and trust in what the Lord was calling them to do. You see, I think it's, it's often that in our comfortability, we're not going to witness the incredible provision and power and, and wonder of God's like spectacular work if we don't say yes to the things that he's calling us to, if we don't put ourselves in a place that makes space for him to prove just how worthy of being worshipped out of reverence and awe that he is. He is powerful. But maybe in our comfortability, like, are we going to see that? So perhaps what are, what are the things that we got to say yes to 
the risks that he wants us to take, where we trust on him, where we actually rely on him, where we make space for him to show us just how powerful he is. Man, it's in those moments where I think we're going to just worship out of reverence and awe. So I think it's, it's just so worth us paying attention to the nudges of the Holy Spirit. Man, even right now, like if there is the name of a person or a place, a school, an organization, a, a place, like a, a country, a city, I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, if something like comes to mind, it's worth checking out. Does whatever that thing is, that assignment, that, that thing that maybe just keeps coming to mind, does it align with God's heart? Does it align with scripture and his commands? Do other Christ followers also think that it aligns with his heart and, and his commands? Maybe that's the thing that if you said yes to, you would make space for him to prove just how powerful and worthy of being worshipped out of reverence and awe he is. Because he is worthy. He is unshakable. He is trustworthy. So remember your first love and perhaps do something risky. Um, again, we're going to reread this verse from Hebrews 12, uh, verse 28. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. You know, the foundation there, it's so important. We don't, we don't aim to worship or to live a life of thankfulness so that we can earn a relationship with God or so that we can build a relationship with God. No, like we can't get this backwards. First thing comes first. The foundation of a life that is lived just claiming the hope that is in Jesus, that, that has to be the first thing. The rest is just a response to that. It's what we do out of that. It's what we do because of that. So again, what is your life built on? That question is so worth it to meditate on, to ask yourself. So we kind of leaned into uh, the, the cause and effect movement of this verse. And I just want to encourage you maybe to spend some time today asking the Lord, man, what in this verse do you want me to lean into? Is it, is it the cause? Is it the first part? Is it needing to reflect on that question? What is my life built on? What's the foundation? Is it shakable? Is it unshakable? Or maybe it's part of the effect. Well, what do you need to do to respond to the Lord out of thankfulness this week? Or, or maybe what's something you can do to step into a posture of, of reverence and awe towards the Lord in your worship. I'm going to pray for us, and then I think the worship team is, is going to come back up, and we're going to continue in worship this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so good. You are unshakable. You are worthy, steadfast, trustworthy. God, thank you for just the invitation um, and, and the the call to your love, the call to a relationship with you. God, I pray that you would stir each of our hearts this morning, that you would lead our thoughts and our minds, you would bring to mind maybe the things that you want us to lean into. If it's meditating on that question of what is my life built on, Lord, would you, would you help us figure that out? Would you show us just how firm and secure and unshakable a life built on you is? Jesus, would you show us what it looks like to respond to you out of thankfulness? And, and God, would you help us to say yes to, to the risky things that maybe put us in a space of having to rely on you so that you can just show us how powerful and, and worthy of being worshiped out of reverence and awe is. God, we, we come to you as a community who just wants to worship you out of reverence and awe because you are worthy of that. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.